Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Hey team, I've got a real treat for you today. As I mentioned earlier this year, I'm going to try and include a few more interviews on this podcast. And this month, I'm bringing you my conversation with Dr. Tamara Rosier. I had an absolute blast talking with her, and so this episode's a bit longer than normal simply because I didn't want to stop the interview. Dr. Rosier is an ADHD coach and runs the ADHD Center of West Michigan. In this interview, we talk about her book, Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. There's just so much good stuff in this interview. We talk about emotional regulation, energy management, and a ton of just funny quirks of having ADHD. If you like the stuff I normally have on the podcast, you're honestly going to love her book, and I think you're really going to enjoy this interview as well. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash yourbrainsnotbroken. All right, keep on listening to find out some great strategies for navigating your emotions and life with ADHD. We're having this conversation because of your book, Your Brain's Not Broken. And I have to say, I love the title of it because it hits home for me a lot of ways. Gotta be reminded that it's it's not broken. I'm just not in the right space to use it. We feel broken a lot of the times though. Yeah. Uh, I was just talking to someone today, very smart woman, and she was complaining about the doctor's forms that come in the mail to fill out. And she said, I just see that thick packet arrive from my doctor's office. And I feel like saying to everyone, everyone just leave me alone. I've got to focus. I mean, if we feel like that about filling out forms, no wonder we wonder if our brain's not broken, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's really easy to hit that. Like, why can't I do this? Why is this so hard for me Ugh. and not hard for everyone else? And I've been definitely feeling that this winter just being like, it's just coming down. Even though I'm getting stuff done and I'm just keeping up with things, I feel like it's a struggle to get there. With everything I know, it doesn't matter. It's just like there's something wrong with you. And I'm like, no, you're just you're pushing too hard. You're you know, I, I, I hear this from a lot of my clients, and I think this too. I'm like, why is this so freaking hard for me? Mm-hmm. And it's like anytime I try to do anything on my calendar, it's like cracking a code. You know, it's in other people, I don't know, mm-hmm. just do it. Or, you know, this time of year when we have to return yeah. things, right? Uh, returning things is like, oh, I'm never going to be able to return this. How does this even work? And the truth is what's hard for us is usually simple for other people. But if we focus on that, we're going to miss that there's sometimes we can look like freaking geniuses because our brains put things together that other people don't put together. So sure, looking like a grown-up, way too tough for us. But thinking about incredibly new, provocative ideas, we can do that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ideas that we can, in places that we were excelling at, that we just write off because I didn't fill out the doctor's form, right? Or I can't keep my car clean, so therefore I'm not a good person. All those moralistic judgments we put on ourselves that have nothing to do with morals. Right. But we look at our neurotypical counterparts and go, but they have a clean car. Grownups should have a clean car. Yeah. And and by the way, I don't know about you, but I hate putting gas in my car. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love your response. I, I think people with ADHD, we hate it for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. right? We hate it because it takes time, blah, blah, blah. This time of year, I hate it even more because it's cold. Yeah. So now it's 20 degrees and I have to stop and do something I already don't want to do. Bridge too far, man. I, maybe maybe I'll just run yeah. out of gas, which that's not really an option. But I've done it a few times. Uh, <laughs> I may have done it more than once myself. Yes. Yeah. At a uh, this old truck at the gas gauge wasn't that good, so I could not trust it that well. So yeah. it was very important that I fill up on time. I still like even with that pressure, it's like putting it off, putting it off. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, because it's. It's like brushing our teeth. It's all those little, tiny, stupid things in life that we just don't want to take the time to do. Yeah. Oh, I always hate what I like of reading stuff like article and it gives the example of it's just something that you do every day, like brushing your teeth. <laughs> right. But yes. if only it was that easy. <laughs> yeah. Just work this into a habit. Oh, cool. Because guess what's going to happen? I'm going to forget I have a habit. Yeah. That's where I really thought my brain was broken. I couldn't remember, like everyone kept saying, well, just make a habit of it. I'm like, cool story, bro. But I forget that I've made a habit. I'm using air quotes for your listeners. I forget that that's supposed to be a habit. So there's yeah. a lot of reasons why we think our brain's broken. We see the rest of the world just kind of trucking through life and doing ordinary things. And those ordinary things make us crazy. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. So when you were thinking about this book, who is your kind of target who you were writing it for? Yeah. I Okay. I love that you asked that question because <laughs> I really felt convicted. I mean, I could have titled the book, What I Wish People Knew About ADHD. Mm-hmm. Because I was working with so many people who are sad and they they really believed their brain was broken. and after some coaching, they're like, oh, I'm not that broken. I just work differently. And so it's to, you know, and I, I was convicted because I'm like, well, I can't reach everyone because I can only see, you know, so many clients per week. Um, I really want to write this to people so that they know that their brain isn't broken. So a lot of times it was kind of like, I mean, this is sounds very sappy, but it was a letter to the clients I haven't met yet, trying to convince them, your brain's not broken. You're okay. Yeah, definitely see I mean, everyone with ADHD who's just sat with that feeling of, why can't I do it? Yep. What is wrong with me? Yes. And it is that other side of like people being like, what do, don't they know about ADHD? But also, I'm surprised what I still learn about ADHD. Right. Yeah, I'm just curious. What have you learned lately about ADHD? Um, so I just was doing something on caffeine and the aspects of like how we self-medicate with caffeine a lot because it's a stimulant and it's pretty much unregulated. So we can just get it. That is a terrible idea to self-medicate with caffeine because it builds a tolerance so quickly. I think it builds a tolerance in like three days. And so I'm like, maybe I should cut back on caffeine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, I love I loved that episode, by the way. I thought that was a great episode. I anytime a client brings like a Red Bull, Mountain Dew, whatever, any any high caffeinated drink, mm-hmm. um, I always point it out and I say, Hey, you're self-medicating right now, which means we should probably have a talk about your meds. 
what's happening with your meds? Uh, when, when are you thinking you need to drink this? And a lot of times um, it's around 3 to 4 p.m. They have to do that final push into the evening. Just means their meds are running out. Their stimulants are running out. Yeah. Understanding that I self-medicated with caffeine was something that I popped into my head a while ago. But then actually like reading about it going, there's also just not any research on it. There's five, seven studies maybe. <laughs> and each of the studies had like a thing like, this is something that we should look into further because there's not enough. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I listened to that episode because I, I work with my clients a lot <laughs> on caffeine intake. And what, what's weird is I don't tolerate coffee very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's more components to coffee than just the caffeine. Yeah. And so I could easily think that I can't tolerate a stimulant. Well, a stimulant really works for me. And that's how I manage my ADHD symptoms. So caffeine is a type of stimulant. Yeah. But people get confused like it's the only kind. And so. So, yeah, that's one of the places that I've been definitely been looking into comorbidities and how interested in how autism is not connected, but the, the overlap that there is, tends to be. I've been getting into uh, TikTok a lot recently, and there is a lot of creator content. And then there is a lot of pushback against the ADHD creators from the uh, autism creators being like, you are not talking about ADHD symptoms. You are talking about autism symptoms. And I think that's really important to think about like, hey, there are a lot of ways that ADHD presents. And there's a lot of things that maybe not aren't uh, ADHD symptom in itself, but are a consequence of the symptom. Yeah. Can I, can I add to that? Because I, I've seen that. I mean, yeah. you know, my clients send me a ton of TikToks. So mm. my pattern is well established on TikTok <laughs> for me. And so I'm familiar with what you're um, talking about. I'd like to add though. So the TikTokers, the mm. ADHD TikTokers are saying, Hey dude, the DSM is missing all of these things. Yes. And it, it's a democratic solution mm. to the authorities kind of ignoring ADHD. And the DSM is way behind in yeah. talking about ADHD. Russ Barkley talks about that mm. quite a bit, right? But what happens is the those ADHD TikTok people have said, hey, there's this whole emotional dysregulation mm-hmm. that is confusing to us. And I'd like to say to respectfully to the people on the spectrum, you guys don't own emotional dysregulation. Yeah. It shows up in ADHD and it's not that, oh, look, squirrel, we're distracted. Um, in fact, my whole book was to try to say, look at the emotional dysregulation and the mess that it causes. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, one of the arguments is um, spectrum t- TikTokers will say, no, 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 not reading emotions. That's a spectrum issue. Mm-hmm. However, when we're talking about ADHD, not reading emotions could be how we present. And that's because we're so wrapped up into our head with what's going on in our head. We forget to read someone else's emotions. It's not that we can't. Yeah. We just forgot to. Because there's, you know, a cacophony of sounds in my head. Yeah. And one thing that popped into my idea about this was that all of me has ADHD. And that's going to include my emotions. It would be very strange for to have a mental health condition that's just like, 
but not your emotions. Those are fine. Right. You don't have any impulsivity with your emotions. <laughs> right. Well, especially given how the brain structure works, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we don't have reliable access to our prefrontal cortex, remember that's the part behind your forehead, mm -hmm. then we rely on our limbic center, our center for fight, flight, or uh, freeze to do a lot of the thinking. But that's also the emotional uh, processing center. So it, it's really not coincidental that most of us have emotional dysregulation issues. In fact, yeah. it's far, far more frequent. Yeah. And that was uh, in the book with like the butler and the angry neighbor, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I remember I was thinking about how I make up for a ton of my short-term memory problems with just a lot of anxiety. Because mm -hmm. it's one of the funny things. I don't have trouble getting to places on time because I'm just so anxious about being late. <laughs> you know, anytime I have someone show up early at my office, I make a note. I'm like, okay, high anxiety. Ask them about that. Mm -hmm. Because I know they got there because they're so anxious that they'll show up 10 minutes early. Oh, and by the way, like if you keep them waiting five minutes, they're going to be wound tight because that anxiety just keeps building. Yeah. And for your listeners, the metaphor is your prefrontal cortex, the part right behind your forehead, usually works like a butler. A calm butler saying, Tamara, you left your keys here. Or Tamara, if you want to leave at this time, do this. It's almost like my butler has a Siri voice. You know, it's <laughs> like, this is just do these next things. Mm -hmm. And so the butler organizes us. It tells us, don't get too upset about that. That's not a problem. We can work it out. And so it's a very reasonable calm butler. But for those of us who don't have reliable access to our prefrontal cortex, we don't have a butler that we can rely on. He or she might show up every once in a while, but not enough, right? Instead, mm -hmm. we have this angry neighbor shaking a shoe going, so help me, if you do this one more time, if you're late one more time, I am going to throw this shoe at you. <laughs> and so we're always trying to duck a, a shoe being thrown at us. And that's what tends to motivate us. The The big emotions tend to motivate us. Yeah, it's amazing just how the the strength of those emotions, too, that you're just like, oh, I thought that I was just going to get a little upset by this, but now I'm just like yep. mad for hours. <laughs> it, it's funny, something that didn't make it into the book. I, I help clients sort out, is this a big bucket deal or a small <laughs> bucket deal? Wh which bucket do we put this in? And so uh, when I work with children, I actually have two buckets named big deal bucket, small deal. And we write out the problems and we sort them out. Mm -hmm. um, that's for like uh, elementary age. Uh, but with adults, because I have them sitting over on the shelf, I'm like, which bucket should that problem go in? And most of the time they're like, it's actually a small bucket issue. I'm like, well, let's keep it in the small bucket. It's so hard in the, in the moment to deal with that idea too. Oh, yeah. In the moment, everything feels big. Everything feels, yeah. Every ex Except sometimes, and this is why we, we're bad <laughs> sorters of the buckets. Sometimes things should really be in a big deal bucket. And I put them in a small deal bucket. Yeah. And someone will go, you know, this is a bigger deal. I'm like, oh, I miss that. Okay. 
put it in the big deal. Yeah, it's really just an aspect of all of ADHD, just like that prioritizing is so hard because everything feels like a priority. So then nothing's a priority. And then you're like just throwing darts, trying to figure out which one actually is. Yeah, it's really amazing. So something I, I, I hope it came out in the book and some, because something I really wanted to point out is for those of us who have ADHD, there are not a lot of great reasons why we should be succeeding at anything we do in the mm-hmm. modern world. We're great yeah. hunter gatherers, but in the modern world, there's we're really at a handicap. Yeah, and yet look at us, we're everywhere, guys. <laughs> yeah. And anytime you know we graduate from high school, college, anytime we're doing anything that is good in the modern world, I kind of feel like we need extra credit for that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like in high school, when you take honors classes or Mm -hmm. AP classes, you get more um, credit. So you can end up with a 4.5. I feel like we need that system for us. Yeah. Like I did it and I have ADHD. Yeah. Although what I find I often do is the opposite. Or it's Mm -hmm. like, I did it, but I didn't do it amazingly. I just survived. and so. Even though I have ADHD and this was harder for me, I should have done it perfectly. And so I don't deserve to have any credit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know what you're talking about, but <laughs> okay. So I totally know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the book came out and I'm like, oh, I should have rewritten the whole thing differently. I should have done mm-hmm. every chapter differently. What was I thinking? And it was hard for me to celebrate publishing the book. Because I just want to move on to the next thing. Um, you know, a, an editor who's really a kind human um, said to me, Tamara, this is a big deal. Don't miss this moment. You're publishing a book. And because my ADHD brain put it in a small deal bucket and just kept wanting to move on. And... I I so appreciate Andrea's words to me because I'm like, wow, she doesn't have ADHD. She's in publishing. Maybe I should listen to her about this. And she said, you know, we'll look at another project from you, but don't miss this. This is good. Yeah. And because I didn't think I had done it perfectly enough. Like you, I just wanted to move on. Yeah. Well, I will say, I loved reading the book. I thought it was fantastic. So great job. Well, thank you. You're very kind. But you know what? We know, you know what gymnastics we do in our head, Mm -hmm. that we never do anything good enough. Yeah. And so I'm confessing my feelings about the book because I I have ADHD and Mm -hmm. I have these thought patterns I constantly have to fight. And I do have to fight it. And I am so appreciative of people like you who read and go, yeah, this all made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so appreciative. So I'm grateful. But again, you Mm -hmm. know, the the weird things that happen in our heads. Yeah. A few months ago, I passed the million download mark on the podcast. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. I sent a text to my friend. That was the total I did for my celebration. Yep. Yep. Now, Now, what's your next goal? 
right? Yeah. I'm like, well, I guess, I guess the obvious one is 2 million. So wait till I do that. I'm like, that's also doubling goals like that is not. What? It, yes. So you get, you get like how, and this is where I work with my clients. This is a form of perfectionism mm-hmm. um, because we think we're only as good as the next goal. And I, unfortunately, again, I'm confessing a lot to you on this. Mm-hmm. I hate, I hate this confessing business, but I think it helps your listeners to know, like, I, I don't think I have my act together. I think I, I have to constantly like hold my thoughts and make sure mm-hmm. like, nope, Tamara, that's not, that's not how you should be thinking right now. It's okay mm-hmm. to relax a second. And to go, wow, that happened. Yeah. And my thoughts going in a few ways here, because it is that idea that every that it needs to be my goal to have all my stuff put together, have it nicely t- tied up in a bow. And that's never going to happen. Nobody has everything together, even though it feels like other people do. Especially I compare myself to neuropathy, like they must have their stuff together. Also don't know what they're going through to make sure that happens. <laughs> I remember I was at a neighbor's house and I was like, man you do such a good job with like hosting these parties and having your house just like so presentable all the time. And she's like, the trick is I have OCD. And it was like, ha ha. She's like, no, really. And I'm like, Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, yeah, we really have to be very careful about comparing ourselves to anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, if I see anything that drags most of my clients down, it's the comparison. Yeah. And it's it's hard to get out of, but it's once you start going, oh, I'm not actually comparing anything. Because that's the problem with comparison. We're not actually comparing anything. You're just going, that's better. I'm going to compare this rotten apple that I found to this perfect apple. Why would anyone want this rotten apple? It's like, well, because you just found that on the side of the road and you just decided that was what you had. Mm-hmm. Or, I, you know, I always say, so here's your apple, mm-hmm. and that's a kangaroo. They're not even yeah. comparable. It's not even a thing. And so yeah. sometimes when we look at other people going, well, how come they can just show up at work every day on time? And I, I have to you know, yell at myself. I have to do all these things to motivate mm-hmm. myself. You know, Why can't I just do it? Well, we have to figure out ways for you to do it, not just wish that it just happened to us. Yeah. Yeah. One of my big level ups in my perfectionism was when I just driving, listening to a frozen soundtrack with my daughter and (laughs) popped into my head, like, Hey, if you're a perfectionist and you don't actually believe anything can be perfect and you're basing your worth on your work, but nothing will ever be perfect. Then you're never going to allow yourself to have any worth. And I was like, Oh no. Oh, Oh no, I this is that's a bad pattern. And my initial was like, okay, just stop with the perfectionism, some work on that. And that helped, but then also eventually being like, you really also shouldn't be valuing your your worth on your work either. Right. Both sides of that equation were wrong. Well, yeah. And so I'm I'm glad you had an Elsa moment <laughs> and you're letting it go. I mean that's yeah. I can, you know, I'm picturing you driving down the road, belting, let it go, let it go. But, you know, there's, you're right. Our ego gets involved because when we're younger, what happens is we learn to care what other people think. 
as a survival technique. Yeah. And it's hard to turn off that survival technique. But here's what happened. And when we're in our 30s, we realize that survival technique is kind of kicking our butt. And it's okay. You know, I, I go easier on 20-year-olds, but mm. if something happens when you're into your 30s and your 40s, you're like, I, I can't be true to myself anymore if I'm constantly trying to please others. And so then we set up a fall guy in our brain, go, okay, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please that chick and she's in my brain. But she's worse than any one outside of me that I've tried to please. And so there is a lot of negotiation. Um, I always have to negotiate with that side of myself. Like, it's okay. You can be happy here. Or something I say to her is, I'll be happy for the two of us right now. Yeah. I mean, that kind of reminds me of early on in the book where you were comparing ADHD to racing in a three-legged race. <laughs> yes. And it's just like, yeah, I just, I just got to work with you. I, I can't choose not to. If I just tried to drag you along, this is going to be a bad time for both of us. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like sometimes, yeah, you got to, how am I going to work with you? How am I going to get you to work with me? Right. And I know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for your listener in the book, I said, you know, hey, my ADHD is like, you know, like I have to run a three legged race. So those of mm -hmm. us with ADHD have to run three legged races. Other people just run a normal race. Yeah. And so every morning I'm like, hey, how are we going to do this today? And she always wants to sit down. She gets tired very easily. She sees a dandelion or something to look at. And so I'm always having to negotiate with her. Um, something I didn't put in the book um, because it's a bit dark, but I'm going to say it here <laughs> is I have a PhD because pretty much I just would knock her out every day. And it's that's dark. And there's a reason I didn't put it in the book is because I, I just don't, I want to be able to explain it further. Right. Yeah. But it's actually an act of self-loathing. Mm -hmm. It's I, I don't have time for your BS and I hate you. And I would essentially knock her out and drag her body at, as I raced. And, you know, you just don't do that a long time in your life without your body starts to get mad at you. You have all kinds of, problems because of that. So really learning to work with your ADHD and be kind. Um, that that has been probably my biggest personal growth. Yeah, it's working with the ADHD is really hard because it feels so much slower than if you could just do it the other way. But yeah. you can only only drag them along for so long. And yeah, while it sounds like a great coping mechanism, it no. <laughs> And, and yet, you know, I'll be really honest, um, when I was writing my uh, dissertation, <laughs> undiagnosed, untreated, I didn't know anything else. And so I did the best I could. But then when I realized what was happening, I'm like, oh, we can't do that anymore, can we? <laughs> so I started to be nice to her. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, people, listen, that's hard to do. It's hard to be nice to your ADHD because you don't want to, because it feels like it's been holding you back for so long. Well, especially for those of us, I think you and I are very similar. <laughs> like we like to get stuff done. Yeah. And we like, we like the feeling of task, like taking on a task and finishing a task. Yeah. And then we have the ADHD side of ourselves sitting down to pick dandelions. 
and looking at butterflies. And we're like, you get up right this second. <laughs> just, just, I just force myself to do this. Yes. We can just go and do it. We'll be done. And then we can, then we can go do the dandelions. Right. Do the, and uh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't really work as well as we think. No. I do know that when she's medicated, she could run the race. A little, she's still going to be a little bit slower, but she can run. She can keep pace with me as long as I slow down a little bit. Um, <laughs> I nothing ever goes as quickly as I think they should go. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. Is like we we want things to go like just like I can I can envision things going so well, and they never go as well as I envisioned because I don't think about everything that could be going on. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's like, oh, I'm going to sit down and write this. It's going to be perfect. Yep. Oh, I don't know what that word means. I need to stop and look that up. Oh, I thought I knew what that concept was, but maybe I don't. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I, there's all these little turns I have to take that I didn't think about it. So before we finish up, I also wanted to make sure we talked about uh, energy management because you've got the solve it grid in the book, which is fantastic. So. We're not going to go specifically into that because that's, as we talked about before the podcast, it's very hard to visualize without having the visuals right in front of you. So um, listeners, you're going to have to buy the book because it's fantastic and it's got this great tool in it. So, uh, but it talks a lot about energy management, which is something I'm really interested in because I've really discovered how important following my energy path through the day was. Uh, over the summer, I got COVID, and that was not great for me. I had about 30 minutes a day that I could be productive because I was just exhausted the rest of the day. And it really drilled home that, hey, you got to work when you can work. can't just hope that you're scheduling your time the right way. Uh, by the way, I, I was working with a client last week who was just recovering from COVID. <laughs> and she started out this a session by saying, you know, ADHD people shouldn't be allowed to get COVID. And, and I think it's interesting because I get what she's talking about. I've had COVID and I know <laughs> the, I call it like a narcoleptic tiredness. Yeah. I could just drop and I, it's, it's amazing how fatigued. It's not just fatigue of, oh, I'm just not productive. It's a bone tiring fatigue. Yeah. And just the mental fog, like, I cannot think. Yeah. I just sit there and be like, what was I supposed to be doing here? <laughs> right. So that's it. Let's start there with the energy management, because yeah. uh, what happens is our brains are working enough to go, but really, I should be doing something. And so, um, by the way, I don't know about you, but sometimes my head and my body don't talk. And so... My head goes, no, 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 guys, we're fine. We're fine. We're not sick. My body's like, I don't know. We're pretty achy. And, and it's like my, my head will keep hitting snooze on the body. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to grow in that area, listen to my body. It's a whole, whole big challenge for me, but I, I'm, I'm learning, right? So I'm also learning energy management. ADHD people, we don't have any governors. And do you know what a governor is? Yeah, just a, something to modulate how where, where you're at. You can't go beyond this point. Exactly. So 
um, they're used in engines. Um, Go-karts have governors mm -hmm. on them because they don't want little teeny boppers spinning too fast around the track. So they regulate how how fast uh, you can go in a go-kart. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have governors. And so we have no idea how fast we can go. And we don't have any idea of speed limits. Yeah, that's that's hidden home pretty well right there. Yeah. So what happens is I, I have to teach my clients, we, we don't have a governor. We're not going to get a governor. But I can teach my clients to be miserly with energy. And I'm, I'm talking primarily emotional energy mm -hmm. because if we can be miserly with the emotional energy. I think the rest will fall into line. So, you know, in the book, I write about an embarrassing time. I kind of wish I had cut this, <laughs> but um, about me hopping into my car and, on a hot summer day and it's hot and immediately <laughs> beads start to form on my chin. And I'm like, oh, I'm so mad. And, you know, you know, neurotypicals are like, well, what would you think? It's a hot day. You jumped into your car. Like, seriously, this isn't rocket science. So in a moment like that, I'll take a deep breath and go, you know what? I don't want to waste this energy right now. I'm just going to get out of my car, turn on the air, let it cool down a, a little bit, and then step back in. And so a lot of times I catch myself and go, no, no, no. I don't want to waste energy here. And so that's what I'm talking about, about wasting energy. So let's <laughs> say you're married and your spouse does something like, wow. You know, he didn't really have to talk to me like that. Instead of holding that grudge, immediately let it go and go, oh, maybe he's having a bad day. Because I don't want to waste the energy to figure out what all that meant if it's just a passing little thing. Now, if it's, if it's a theme or a pattern, that's a different thing. I'm just talking about those little things that throughout the day that just irk us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's interesting to be irked and we like to take take care of that irk and kind of help it grow up to resentment or bitterness or something or anger even. Mm -hmm. And so if I can just release that, that little bit of irk first, that that's where I'm going to get more emotional balance. Yeah. You don't have to take everything personally because often it isn't personal. It's just, right. this is something I do a lot. I've learned to do in while driving is. Someone cuts me off. It's not because they're a jerk. It's because they're having a bad day. I hope they have a better day because that would be nice if we all had better days. And I remember the first time I did that and I was just like, oh, that feels way better. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, you're talking about attributional theory here. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's, it's really funny because we, we think others should view us like, well, give me a break. I was having a rough day. Mm -hmm. However, we don't tend to give other people a break and yeah. we tend to judge people on their behaviors and yet we want to be judged by kind of our heart and it's funny because we forget to do that for other people yeah you know the person could have cut you off because they were just weren't paying attention yeah that still doesn't make them an evil jerk yeah it makes them careless still not an evil jerk and but but we jump to evil jerk must die. And even with that, I go, okay, what if they are a jerk? Now I'm letting them control my emotions. 
I don't want to give them the satisfaction of that. Like the best way to control trolls online is to go, hey, are you okay? They don't know how to deal with that because that's not the reaction they're looking for. Right. They're looking for a fight. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. I think that's really, I think a lot of times we hand over control of our emotions to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think taking back our emotions and owning them is really important. Yeah. And not easy, but it's, you know, it pays dividends. Yeah. And I, I love, I love what you just said. That's so part of this kind of, you know, we don't have the emotional governor, <laughs> but creating these rules of, I don't, I don't want to spend my emotional energy that way. Especially everything in our lives takes emotional energy. And so why would I waste it on someone who, cut me off when I know that I have to do this task later on and that's going to take emotional energy. I just, I want to be a little bit more miserly with it. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it too, because it's just easy to be like, to feel like, oh, I'll have an infinite amount of this, but I don't like, no, it, it runs out surprisingly quick. <laughs> it does run out quick, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The other aspect that I've thought about this before is I know with a lot of ADHD people, they will have a just brute, just the, the day that they're, they're on. They're like, I am just so good today and I'm going to get everything done. It's going to be a super productive day. And they do, they do all of the things. And then the next day they crash. Yes. And the assumption is originally that I'm going to do all these things because I know I'm going to crash tomorrow. But by theory that I've been thinking about, it's like, Am I crashing because I'm doing too much? Right. That's the red-blue pattern that I talk about in the book. Um, mm -hmm. I happen to have that pattern myself. Like, all <laughs> right, I'm on today. And the red quadrant is kind of the go, go, go quadrant. And, and then I flop to blue because I can't sustain that high emotional energy. And so, yeah, I do. I flop to blue and I'm like, I'm tired. The other thing we don't understand is when we gear ourselves up to have a super productive day, super productive, mm -hmm. and we're doing everything. We're just super, super, super. We're borrowing against tomorrow. Yeah. And we're not being productive by doing any of the recovery things either. <laughs> it's like, could, could I not do something that would be good for me tomorrow too? I'm just doing things that are doing that borrowing from tomorrow. I'm not doing anything to be like, okay. Let's also do this productive thing that's going to make me feel awesome tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm always surprised when I get to Friday night. Like, I don't know why I'm so tired, but I'm exhausted. And my husband just looks at me like, are you serious? You can't figure this out? Like, you've been going, going, going all week. And now your body's like, hey, we're done. But each Friday night, I'm somewhat surprised at how tired I am. And I, I, I think it's kind of funny that I don't really ever figure this out. I mean, I know it enough to write about it. <laughs> and yet each Friday night, huh, I wonder why I'm so tired. And I say it almost every Friday night. And every Friday night, he's like, well, you've had a busy, you know, you leave it all on the field during the week. I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. But it also sounds like you're then like being like, hey, it's time for the weekend. It's time to do the do the stuff I need to do to recover. I, yes, but now that I'm learning, I, I am learning. 
mm-hmm. slowly but surely. I'm a very slow learner, it seems. I'm learning to take those breaks during the week. I make certain rules for myself, like stopping work by 7 p.m. and going into kind of a, a in the blue quadrant, like lower activities, um, kind of fun, but not really stimulating activities. I try to do those more and more during the week now. Yeah. Those are great and hard to get yourself to really engage in, to be like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is important too. Yeah, it is. I, I am starting to learn the value of, get this, balance. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. um, before I, you know, just had a toggle switch on or off and either I was on fully productive or off asleep <laughs> and and now i'm learning uh to modulate a little bit better yeah all right well i'm really enjoying our conversation so i'm like stupid clock <laughs> so do you have any thoughts you want to end with i would love to encourage people uh mm-hmm. to remember that things will always take longer than they want to plan for and that you will always either overestimate your energy or underestimate your energy. We usually don't get it just right. So just be aware of the time and the energy. Yeah, it's finding that balance. Yeah, finding that balance. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had a great time. Thanks for having me. I think everyone listening should go and read the book because I got a lot out of it. And if you enjoy this podcast, I think you would also enjoy the book. So. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. I really hope you enjoy this special episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I know I had so much fun recording it. I'm definitely going to have to have Dr. Rosier back on the podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, I'd highly encourage you to go check out her book, Your Brain's Not Broken. If you like the stuff I've been putting out on this podcast, you'll absolutely love the book. I had a great time reading it, and I'm definitely going to have to give it another once over just because it had so much good stuff in it. You should be able to find it at all major book retailers, or you can find a link on the show notes page. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at hackingyouradhd, and I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for hackingyouradhd. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I'd bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, 25, or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. 
For those of you late-diagnosed women, moms, and professionals, you can also check out the ADHD-friendly lifestyle with Moira Maven. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. Why did the cowboy adopt a dachshund? Because someone told him to get a long little doggie.